Welcome to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 230, and today we are talking about books being released on October 15th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Maria Christina Garcia Lynch, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hey, hey! Hey, how are you, friend? I'm okay. <laughs> it's been a long year. It, I, I was just looking at the upcoming All the Books schedule and seeing, like, oh, we've only got a few regular episodes left, and then we start wrapping up 2019 and looking ahead to 2020, and it, it just blew my mind. Yeah. There's so many good books coming out next year. I'm very excited. Not that I don't get excited every yeah. year, but I mean, at least we know if that they're coming. <laughs> if you don't already follow Liberty on Twitter, you should go look her up there because for the past couple of days, she's been doing this really great thread about all of the books she's excited about for 2020 and bookmark that stuff, man. It's amazing. Oh, well, thank you. I am. Um, yeah, I meant to do some more today, but I just I didn't get to it. But I'm going to keep adding to it. Because you were reading. <laughs> I'm going to keep adding to it. I actually had, I started a thread, and then it turns out, if you're not the person responding, you can't remove the tags. So as I was yeah, going along, up. I was, like, tagging publishers and editors, and all of a sudden, I was just dragging this thread through their mentions every time <laughs> I added a new one. So after, like, seven, I realized this, and so I started a new thread, like, below it. But it's like the social media equivalent of reply all. Yeah. Yeah, it's so dumb. Like, it it should be the same for people who are, like, adding an extra tweet as opposed to, like, just responding. You should be able to uncheck those names. But you can't. Whatever. Um, yeah, I just, I just was feeling like talking about books yesterday. Um, and today I was going to do Which it. Which is unusual for I you. I know. My brain is kind of melted, though, because I just recorded... The special AMA episode uh, for yeah. for all the books, and I had to answer questions and like think up answers about myself and some really great questions, and uh, my brain is like kind of cooked now, um, but it'll be okay. <laughs> um, before I tell you about my first book, I'm sure I will you know bounce back from it. I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is sponsored by the one that got away with murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Albachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this, so make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so do you want to hear about my first book? Absolutely. All right. My first pick today is Your House Will Pay by Steph Cha. Steph Cha has written a few mysteries now two or three at least, 
that I know of. Um, this one is her best so far, and I hope that this brings her all the attention that she deserves because it's fantastic. Uh, it's set in L.A. It opens in 1993. There's a, a scene that takes place in 1993, and then we jump ahead to present day. Uh, it's in Los Angeles. There has been a police shooting. They have killed an unarmed uh, African-American man in his backyard. Uh, the police officer is not charged, so, of course, people are very upset uh, there's, like, a lot of tension in the city. And the novel focuses on these two families. Um, there's an African-American family, and we see their life through the point of view of Sean. And he grew up living with his aunt and his sister and his cousin, Ray. Uh, and they are featured in, like, the first little scene at the beginning of the book. Um, his sister, Ava, uh, is murdered in 1993. And, you know, it was very hard on the family, um, it was very hard on Sean. He started acting out. He spent some time in jail, but he kind of came around. Um, his cousin Ray was not as lucky. Uh, and so as we join the family in present day, Ray has just gotten out of federal prison. He's been there for 10 years. Uh, Sean meets him there with Ray's wife and Ray's two children who have been waiting for him, you know, for these many years. And so Sean is kind of like gone on the straight and narrow. He has a job with a mover and he's trying to get Ray a job there, but he's worried about Ray. Ray has spent a lot more time inside. He's older. You know, it's it's easier to kind of turn back to old habits and crime than, like, work, you know, hard work, moving, and he's worried that Ray's going to kind of do that, and he's also worried about Ray's influence on his teenage son, who hasn't spent any time with Ray since he was very little, wants to hear his stories. There's also a little thing going on there, like, Ray is a little jealous of Sean, even though it's not Sean's fault. He's kind of jealous that he has had all this time with Ray's family that Ray has not had. Um, and there's also a problem, Sean is having a problem because there is a writer who wrote a book about his sister's death many years ago, won prizes, got all kinds of notoriety, everyone thinks he's, like, amazing, and now he wants to write a new book about violence against African Americans and also write a new chapter about Sean's sister, and he's just, he's not happy about that, he's not having it. The other family in this book is an Asian-American family. Uh, they're Korean-Americans, and we're, we see their life through the daughter, Grace Park. She is, like I said, she's a daughter of Korean immigrants. Uh, she lives with her parents. She's in her late 20s. She works at her father's pharmacy. Um, her sister, Miriam, is the rebellious daughter. She hasn't talked to her family in a couple of years. She hasn't talked, or she talks to Grace, but she hasn't talked to her parents in a couple of years. They were very upset when she brought home a date and it was an African-American man that they haven't spoken since then. Um, and now Grace feels doubly responsible for her parents and taking care of them and doing all the things that they want, like working at the store and taking over the store someday because of what happened with Miriam. So a crime is going to occur that forces both of these families together. It's a very powerful, fully realized novel. That she does an amazing job like filling you in on everything about these characters in not that many words, I it just felt like we just knew them and like knew a lot about them, even after like just a couple of pages. It's just a really incredible novel about racism and crime and family and responsibility. Um, if you like Attica Locke or Richard Price, uh, I just think it's really excellent, and I think it's going to do really well for her. It's Your House Will Pay, and it's by Steph Cha. Uh, my first pick for this week is... The Never Tilting World by Rinch Pecco. And this was, oh, this was so much fun to read. Uh, it's a book told in alternating viewpoints between four main characters. You've got Odessa, who uh, lives on this dark side of the planet. It's a planet that doesn't rotate at all, so it's constantly dark on her half. And she's got uh, a, a a guardian, friend, lover, kind of it's complicated person in her life named Lan. And Lan also is the point of view character for some of these chapters. And then you've also got Haiti, who lives on the light side, the, the permanently light side of this planet. And... Arjun, who is this this guy who, at first, they have this really antagonistic relationship, but over the course of the book, 
they become much closer. And the the book takes you through this simultaneous journey that all four of these characters are making. Uh, Odessa and Lan from the dark side of the earth and Haiti and Arjun from the light side of the earth. Uh, all the way to this place where where something happened about 17 years before called the breaking and this this event is what caused the the world to stop spinning and Odessa and Haiti are each traveling to this spot where there's this giant abyss because they've gotten these they've gotten these supernatural messages from beings telling them that this is going to be how the world is repaired if if they go there, um, and it seems kind of kind kind of wild that someone could believe that they have that kind of power. But this world is highly charged with all kinds of magic. People have uh, something called called gates through which they they channel their magic using certain elements that they may have an affinity for. So, uh, for example, if you have a, a water gate and a talent for working with air, then you're, you're basically an ice wizard. Um, and there are goddesses who can work whatever kind of magic they want. They can use any gate. Um, they are still somewhat limited by the elements available to them in their immediate surroundings, but but they can work way more magic than anybody else. And Odessa and Haiti happen to be two of those goddesses. And they're twins, but they each believe that they're the only surviving twin. And, um, and, and this, this book is the first in what's going to be a duology. I've said before on the show that, that I just, I don't have the energy or patience to get into series that have like 10 installments when when they all haven't been written and published yet but but a duology is, is I can I can wait for just one more book to come out you know you read one book and you're already halfway there I'm I'm great with that um so so this book uh you you unravel a lot of mysteries but so many more are also set up as you you figure out you know what's the deal with with these two young goddesses and how are they going to repair this world and how are they going to get answers from their parents who have told them that that no your 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 twin is dead and and whose mother is actually the real mother of these two twins there's a lot of deception back at home once this journey is completed uh so it's it's just a a really I, I love the world building here and the the journey that these these characters make, all four of them, not just physically from their their ends of the world to this abyss, but also just growing up over the time that it takes to make this journey and the different challenges that they they meet in effective and also just flailing kind of ways are, are are really enjoyable to read and if you like the the geological science fantasy of the broken earth trilogy or or mystical family lineages that that might not be altogether accurate or true like like in the priory of the orange tree or you like the idea of a world that's split between night and day like the city in the middle of the night like you're you're gonna eat this book up and I cannot wait but I will for the second one to come out so that is The Never Tilting World by Rin Shipeko you you don't really have a choice I mean <laughs> without committing I, I know, a crime I, you know like you kind of just have to wait yeah or I could you know try and develop some kind of time travel technology but by the time that's actually safe on on humans I might as well have just waited for 
for the book to come out. So I'll just save myself all that research and development and try to be patient. It's true. It would cut in on your reading time, you know, <laughs> like develop time travel. Like I would like, okay, no, I'm like really to be... excited to hear about this next book because, oh, okay. Cause this is, I, I am so excited about this book. So I would like to hear you talk about it. All right. It is wild game. My mother, her lover and me by Adrian Broder. Uh, Adrienne is a former Houghton Mifflin Harcourt editor. She co-founded Zoetrope Magazine with Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, this is her memoir about being an accomplice in her mother's affair when she was a teenager. Uh, her mother, Malabar, um, raised her and her older brother. Uh, her parents divorced when Adrienne was five. Um, she had met Her mother had met someone else named Charles... Uh, it took a long time before his divorce was final with his wife, uh, so they didn't get married until Adrian was maybe 9 or 10, if I'm remembering correctly. However, right a, a few weeks, I think, before the wedding, Charles had a stroke. Uh, he is, in this, he's like 15 or 16 years older than Malabar. Um, he had a stroke, and... Um, it, it left him very weak. This is a devastating blow to Malabar because she had just waited all these years to marry this man. And she marries him because it's in sickness and in health. Uh, but she's now going to have to spend more of her time taking care of him. And she later confesses to her daughter, uh, which maybe you shouldn't tell your children, um, she and Charles, because of this joke, she and Charles are no longer intimate. Um, so she married Charles uh, they moved into Charles's family's home, which had 17 bedrooms. Um, they were living in New York, and then they moved to outside of Boston into this giant, giant house. Charles's family was very wealthy, um, and they summered on Cape Cod. And so now Adrian is 9 or 10. Her, uh, her mother has married Charles. Like I said, he's like 15 years her senior. Um, and now when the memoir opens, Adrian is 14 years old. They're summering on the Cape um, Charles's best friend Ben and his wife Lily have come to visit. Uh, Adrian is sort of discovering boys. Boys are sort of discovering her. She's like noticing that they pay attention to her now. You know, her body is changing. She feels very different. Um, and there's this one night where she has been out making out with a boy and like kind of snuck back into the house and she's asleep. And her mother comes to her and wakes her up. And she's thinking, like, oh, you know, I'm in trouble. And instead, she, her mother tells her that Ben, Charles's best friend who is visiting, uh, kissed her. And she doesn't know what to do, except that she can kind of tell that her mother is very excited about this. And she thinks, like, her mother already knows exactly what she wants to do. And she becomes complicit in her mother's affair with, with Ben. Um, she, you know, she realized, she sees something in her mother that she hasn't seen in a very long time. Her mother looks very happy. Her mother has been depressed for many years. You know, she talks about how she has to beg her to brush her hair when she drops them off at school and to like, all she does is like put a robe over her pajamas to drive them in. And now all of a sudden, like her mother seems like very vivacious again. And she's like taking care of her appearance and she seems so happy and so she helps her mother have this affair. She makes excuses for her mother to get out of the house. Uh, she makes excuses for her mother to leave and go on trips. She takes care of Charles while her mother is gone. She feels very special. Like, all of a sudden, her mother needs her, and she's paying this attention to her, um, you know, and treating her like they're, you know, really close pals and, like, trusting her with a secret that she hasn't told anyone else. Um, and she feels very grown up about that. And it's she's just done such a fantastic job conveying, you know, the naivety of youth and the need, you know, for attention when you're young from your parents. Um, I'm not going to tell you, you know, how she feels one way or the other now about what happened. Um, but it just, it, you can read this in like two seconds. It just flies by because you're like, what is going to happen? Um, it's, she's just done an amazing job. Plus, it was like so interesting to me to read because... You know, she lived in a house with 17 bedrooms. <laughs> you know, it's like not an experience I am familiar with. And so it was so fascinating to read about that, the way she talks about like the house and like the different parts of the house and like all, all the staff and everything. it's amazing. Um, also, I just want to say, I remember when I was reading this, um, it's Adrian Broder's birthday today. She mentions in the book that her birthday is October 15th. Ah! So, look at that. It's like her birthday present. It's like her book that, comes out on her birthday. It's like her book birthday yeah. and her birthday birthday. Yeah. That's that's um, wild. 
it's it's so fascinating. If you like, you know, The Glass Castle, if you like Mary Carr, um, if you like memoirs, you know, like, you know, scintillating memoirs about, you know, youth and, you know, sometimes a little too much sharing. It, it's just, it's fantastic. So it is Wild Game, My Mother, Her Lover, and Me by Adrian Broder. Cool. And so now I'm going to tell you. Is it sponsor time again? What, what? Is it sponsor time again? It is sponsor time again. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelid. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like, a bit of a mess. Then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. And now tell us about your next pick, please. All right. Uh, my next pick, I've got some nonfiction for you. It is The Body by Bill Bryson, who is just one of my most favorite nonfiction writers ever and one of the most talented science communicators out there. Uh, he's just, you, you read him and it's so conversational and it's, it's like you were wandering around a party where you don't know anybody and he doesn't know anybody, but you just struck up a conversation and you find out you happen to be talking to a super curious guy. And it's it's great because there are so many things that lots of people would say, huh, I wonder, uh, and then just leave it at that. But he so thoroughly tracks down information about seemingly mundane things or things that are just so unknowable, like why would anyone even try, but he does. And then he writes about them in a way that makes them easily comprehensible, at least at a layperson level, and not at all dry. And his, his subject in this book, as, as the title says, is the body. So uh, he, he takes you through all of these different parts of yourself, uh, your skin, your heart, and so many other organs in your body, and just tells you all of these things that you might not have known about them. This is this is definitely a book for the type of person who enjoys looking up from whatever they're reading to share something they just learned with whoever happens to be in the room with them. Uh, and the thing that makes this more than just a, 
a dry textbook or or a list of fun facts is that he he historicizes so much of what we know about about the body. You learn about when we learned it, what we used to believe before, who it was who who made these discoveries and who it was who actually got the credit for these discoveries. And uh, and also in the end he he does something that I think is 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 actually the only responsible thing to do and and he really talks a lot about the 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 healthcare issues we're facing these days and it's not just um oh everyone these days are they're not taking care of themselves it's not some rant about millennial diet or exercise or anything like that it's it's really talking about the unequal access to to healthcare and and that that brings this this abstract idea of bodies back to the very particular and and not just your body itself um which at, at times thinking about this book in terms of my own body made me feel a little squeamish um but but it it also brings everything he's been writing back down to the fact that there are our policies and and things within our society that affect how well a body is allowed to function and for how long. Uh, so this this is just uh, I I I saw he was coming out with this new book and I thought well it 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 has to be great because I I love everything he's written and I. I'm here to tell you that I was not disappointed. So go pick up The Body by Bill Bryson. Okay. Uh, speaking of bodies, um, there, is a, <laughs> there is a great riddle. It's like, what do you have when you're sitting down that you don't have when you're standing up? Any idea? Uh, uh, no. A, a chair? A lap. I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Okay. Right, so speaking yeah, of laps, yeah. um, I just poured most of my water in mine while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I'm just going to sit here in my really wet sweatpants. and Because uh, I'm in my jammies right now while we're recording. <laughs> but I've always really liked that riddle. I think I heard it when I was little. Ooh, I just rhymed. Riddles and rhyming. What is going on? <laughs> um, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna move on now. Um, so I guess you're just the like you know some kind of gatekeeping troll or sphinx or something. Yeah, a very wet one right now. Um, so <laughs> my next pick is the year we fell from space by Amy Sarah King, or as you may know her, A. S. King. This is her middle grade read. I think it's her second middle grade read. Uh, possibly her third. I can't keep track anymore. I've read everything. I am a huge fan of A.S. King. I think she's amazing. Um, I've always talked very highly about her books because I love them so much. And one time when I met her, the only time I met her, uh, several years ago at BEA, she said, I'm going to name a character after you someday. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like, right. Uh, and she did. So this is her middle grade book with Liberty Johansson. And ah! I have to tell you, it is a trip to read your own name being used. I, like, I've never really experienced that. Um, there's, like, a very minor character in the Christopher Fowler series named Liberty. Um, but, like, I never got my license plate keychain. I never got my Coke bottle. My, yeah. You know, my name is yeah. on all the money, but no one will give it to me. Um, you know, and so, like, <laughs> to read this book where it's just, like, Liberty does this, and Liberty says that. It was a trip. So, in this book, Liberty is 12 years old. Uh, she lives with her mother and sister. Her dad has moved out. Uh, her parents are separated. And she hasn't seen him since then. And she's trying to process her parents' separation. Um, and, and it's very hard for her. Um, she loves the stars. Her dad taught her about constellations. She makes star maps. And she's coming up with new constellations. Like, she's, she's creating, like, new patterns, you know, hoping it causes some change um, because she's very unhappy and, and she also has a meteorite that she found that has fallen from the sky and she kind of equates that with what is going on with her family. Like, they have, her family has fallen, like, they have fallen from the sky and she sort of talks to this meteorite, it's in her room, 
Um, cause she's having a really hard time. Her sister is having a hard time. Her sister doesn't want to leave the house anymore. She's feeling very protective of her sister. Um, she gets, Liberty is getting bullied at school. It's so weird to say my name in the third person. Um, I feel like, I feel like <laughs> Terry on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, so Liberty is... You love yogurt too, huh? Liberty loves yogurt. Um, so, uh, Liberty is getting bullied at school. Um, and she's having a hard time with that. She knows her father has depression. She is worried that she does too. But she is very apprehensive and does not want to participate in family counseling uh, that is going on. Um, and it, it's just, it's a very important, heartbreaking book um, about the stigma of mental illness, about bullying, about families, healing. Um, I've said, I say this every time, and I'm going to say it again. I think that A.S. King is such an incredible writer, and I think that you know, she's so important. She could save the world, like, if if she was put in charge. You know, like, she she is just so wonderful. Um, so this book is incredible. I'm not just telling you that because my name is in it. Um, I, I just absolutely love her. And uh, so, I don't know. I didn't know if I wanted to say something here um, because I don't know if I can do it. But uh, I will just say that... Um, A.S. King, uh, she lost her oldest daughter last year. And just take a second and send some love out in her direction. Uh, so this is The Year We Fell From Space by Amy Sarig King. All right. Um, my next pick is a, a trade paperback that collects... Marvel Rising Heroes of the Round Table. It was a, a five-issue series that had been released issue by issue, and now you've got it out in in a paperback copy of, of all of them collected. If you're a trade waiter like I am, then this is your time to pick it up. Actually, last week, October 8th was, um, but I'm going to tell you about it this week. And it was written by Nyla McCruder with art by Roberto Di Salvo and Giorgia Duarte, color by Rachel Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Lots of people collaborating on this, which is totally appropriate because there are lots of people collaborating in the book, too, fighting crime. You've got Captain Marvel and Spider-Gwen on the cover, but they're not actually in in it, this story, so forget about them. But who needs them? Because you've got the unbeatable squirrel girl, Doreen Green, with her squirrel companion, Tippy Toe. You got Kamala Khan, who is Miss Marvel, Miles Morales, who is Spider-Man. You've got America Chavez, Daisy Johnson, and Dante Pertuz, who is Inferno. And they are all up against Morgan Le Fay, uh, who, who tries to, to, to take over New York and turn it into a new Camelot. She's been a Marvel villain since like the 1950s, and and here though, because if if you know how the unbeatable Squirrel Girl approaches problem solving as a hero, you you think for a second that that the heroes might actually be able to listen to to what the underlying problems are here. For, for Morgan Le Fay and, and find some constructive way to address those issues. And, and then it doesn't necessarily work out that way. And one of the strengths of this book is, is the many reversals you get about who's got the upper hand and who is, is going to be redeemed in somebody's eyes and who isn't. And the the thing that I really enjoy about this is each each issue of each of the five issues is told from a different person's point of view. And they do such a great job of capturing that that individual person. It it definitely 
individuates everybody so that it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're you're reading the same voice but in different characters um and i i loved so many of of the ways in which the the things that i appreciate about these different characters when they appear in their own titles were incorporated into this one so it was it was just a lot of fun like at one point there's a giant trash monster that rises out of the Hudson River and Miss Marvel is like it's it's like the Loch Ness monster of New Jersey and and she says it's it's like Jesse and Squirrel Girl is like it's like trash Jesse it's like trashy and everyone's like okay guys let's let's you know step back from the pun making here and actually figure out what we're going to do but it's it's those little touches that make me feel like, yeah, I'm reading Squirrel Girl and I'm reading Miss Marvel, even though they're in this book with so many other characters. Um, so it was it was just a lot of fun to read. And with with the the main Squirrel Girl ongoing wrapping up in the next couple weeks, it was it's just nice to know that there there are other writers out there who can who can do her justice and that she's she's it's the end of an era here with with the squirrel girl title but she herself will live on and you know like she always has and and that was just that was just a reassuring thing for for me as a squirrel girl diehard fan to to read so that is marvel rising heroes of the round table all right you really uh remember that morgan lefay is in an episode of the librarians which was a show that I, yeah. I enjoyed very much, but I think it, I think it's all done now, which makes me sad. They were trying to find a new network for it, like after the fourth season, but I don't think that they did. Yeah, I, re I remember that. She's she's such a great character. It's no wonder that people try to to draw upon that part of Arthurian legend when they're telling other stories, and and there are so many ways you can use her without repeating anybody else who's used her before. Yeah. I feel like there are so many characters from other books that you could use, you know, today, and instead we keep getting the same ones over and over again, you know? <laughs> it's like, Sherlock Holmes is in this, and he's in that, and it's like, yeah, Sherlock's great, but can we just, like, pick someone else? Um, <laughs> or Morgan Le Fay, I say. So, I'm just going <laughs> to rhyme all the time now. Um, my last pick for today is also a comic. It is a YA graphic novel called Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker and illustrated by Wendy Zhu. And it is so much fun. It's kind of like the Tea Dragon Society meets Sabrina meets Willow and Tara. It's just, it's great. It's about... Oh, that's very accurate. Thank you. Did you read it? Yeah. No, of oh, course you did. Yes. Like, no, you're just like, like, okay, yeah. No, of course, I don't know what, yeah, I told I, you I'm tired. I don't know what. I, oh, yeah, no, and I was totally going to pick pick this until I'm just like, oh, no, Liberty nabbed it. Okay, fine. Sorry, I'm very sorry, but I'm not really sorry. <laughs> uh, so this is about a young witch named Nova. She lives in a small town. She works at her grandmother's bookshop. It is not, uh, it's not a secret for everybody to know that she is a witch or that her family uh, comes from witches. Uh, just a few select people know this. Uh, she's working in her grandmother's bookshop, and she gets wind of word that there is a white wolf in the forest. And she has a pretty good idea who this white wolf might be. So she decides she's going to go out in the forest and look for the wolf, because she's pretty sure it is her friend Tam, who is a werewolf. And Tam and Nova have kind of like a childhood crush going on. Uh, and she hasn't seen her in a long time, so she goes out into the woods. She does indeed find the white wolf, and unfortunately, she also encounters a demon in the form of a horse, and the demon is seemingly unbeatable. Uh, she fights the demon along with the wolf, and they can't beat it, uh, but the demon, they kind of get away, and it does turn out, indeed, yes, the wolf is Tam, so... Uh, Nova takes Tam back to her grandmother's. Uh, her grandmother takes them in, um, and now they've decided to work together to figure out how to beat this demon. Um, and, and, it, and while they're working together, it kind of rekindles their mutual feelings for each other, their mutual crush. Um, and the, yeah, I have to say, um, I don't know, this might have been your experience too, but 
um, the copy that I have is a is an advanced reading copy, and the color stopped about two thirds of the way in. And so when I was reading yeah, it... Yeah, and, and that's pretty common, too, yeah. with advanced reading copies I, of graphic novels. I have not had that experience, I don't think. So I was reading it, and it gets to, like, this point where it's, like, lots of conflict and lots of action going on, and this thing is going to happen, and all of a sudden all the color went out, and I was like, oh, it's like, there, there, something has happened, they're witches, and the color has left <laughs> their world, and then I was like... It's like a reverse <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Yeah, like, I keep reading, and I'm like, wait, no, I just think that... That they just didn't finish coloring it yet for the for this, or they didn't bother, you know, for this because like it's a lot of work. Um, so <laughs> I thought I was having some kind of strange experience within the book, and then it just turns out no, it's just because it's an advanced reading copy. Um, but so it should be color throughout, uh, and the illustrations are really adorable, and I loved uh, the relationship between Tam and Nova. Um, these are important voices that we do not hear enough from. Both Tam and Nova are Chinese-American. Tam is non-binary. Nova is hearing-impaired. Uh, I thought that they were, everyone in the book was just so great, except for the bad demon. Bad, bad, naughty demon. Um, but it was so much fun. It's called Mooncakes, and it's by Suzanne Walker and Wendy Zhu. All right. Um, my last pick for the day is Divide Me by Zero by Lara Vapniar. And... Sometimes I'll pick up a book without refreshing my memory by reading the description first and just just dive in, which I think is is fairly common. Uh, my spouse has done that before. He did it with the book Sourdough, and because he hadn't read the description, he got through almost all of it while under the impression that it was a memoir, which is <laughs> hilarious if you know Sourdough. Um, like at a certain point he he just stopped and was like, Wait, what? And I had to be like, Honey, it's fiction. Um but but that happened to me with with this where I, I read the first couple chapters and I was like, Oh, okay, this is this is a memoir because Katya uh is writing in first person and and she's a writer and it it just it read like a memoir, and I I stopped at one minute because I was just like, wait a minute, I I thought I didn't think think the the author's name was Katya, and I I looked and I was like, oh okay, no, this is just this is just fiction that that reads like a memoir, but there are also a lot of similarities to the author's life, for example. Um, Obviously, the author is also a writer. Uh, and uh, Katya is a Russian immigrant. And she she tells this, this story as, as if it's a memoir. She jumps forward and, and backwards in time in a way that is just really, really excellent pacing-wise. Um, and you learn about her childhood in Russia where she she had a pretty happy time until her father died when she was very young and then you know, things were pretty rough for her and her mom and eventually she she came to the United States as a young wife with her husband and and her mother and then lots of stuff just starts happening to to distance to, to put some distance between her and her husband, and she has some some affairs, and these relationships don't always go the way that she would like them to go. So you you learn a lot about her as a daughter, and her as a mother, and as a wife, and as a friend. Uh, but then also, apart from all of these relationships she has with other people, there's there's really a lot of her trying to understand herself and her desires and the there's there's this framing device uh, with this book where her mother was a a math instructor um at the university level but she also wrote math textbooks for for children and as her mother was dying, she was making notes for a math textbook that she was hoping to market for adults that would also have some kind of a self-help component. And the, 
the chapters are they they all start with one of these these notes that Katya's mother had made and and it just kind of riffs off of those notes and it's it's a really interesting thing uh within the chapters themselves but then also the the book as a whole with the way it's structured uh for example about about a quarter of the way into the book, uh, a small mystery for, for the reader is resolved. And the note card that follows says, learning to arrange things in a certain order. And then immediately after that, the book jumps for the first time to a period following the death of Katya's mother. So there's just this, this wonderful meta-textual thing happening here. Also, there are little asides to the reader breaking the fourth wall, which, you know, didn't didn't help with me distinguishing between this being fiction and, and a memoir. Uh, but I, I loved I loved it. I loved reading that. And it is it's it's melancholy, but also funny. And I, I find that tragic comedy is so perfect for this time of year when it's still light out at 5 p.m., but only just barely. So don't wait on this one. It is Divide Me by Zero by Lara Vapniar. Okay, those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? Um, I am going to listen to Bowl Away by Elizabeth McCracken. Because mm. I, I had, I had a, a galley of this. Uh, that I didn't get to, but I had also put the audiobook on hold at the library, and my hold finally came in. So I'm going to I'm going to press play on that imminently. And I know that you're a big fan of Elizabeth McCracken, yes. so you know, I'm, whether I like it or not, I'm definitely going to lie to you if I don't <laughs> and tell you that I loved it. Uh, but because you're such a big fan, I fully expect to love it. She's so. she's so great. And also, that's one of the books I was thinking about um, yesterday. I was thinking about some of the releases this year because we do have the shows coming up. And I was like, that book came out like last year, right? No. I think it was like February. So many books feel like they've oh, been having, out for I'm like... having that feeling yeah. with so many things like... Can I pick that for one of the best of this year? Is that this year? Oh, man, it is. That's wild. Yeah. Also, like, the books that came out in January and February are now coming out in paperback because hardcovers <laughs> usually come out, like, you know, in nine to nine months to a year, depending on how well they did or, you know, what the publisher wants to do. So it's like, you know, uh, I just got a copy of Age of Light, I think is what it was. Yeah. It came out in January, and, and now the paperback is out, like, next week. It's so strange. Publishing just messes with your sense of time. Yes, very strange. Um, so I am going to read a book that I am so excited to get, um, and so lucky to get. It doesn't come out until July of next year. Um, I don't know how many of you follow Duchess Goldblatt on Twitter. Oh, the Duchess. Yes, the Duchess. Speaking of Elizabeth McCracken. Um, I think that's where I found out about the Duchess. So Duchess Goldblatt is uh, a Twitter account. Um, she's not a real person. I mean, she is a real person, but Duchess is sort of a fictional personality uh, who is just so, so delightful. Um, has this avatar of, like, uh, this old um, painting from, like, the 1600s of, like, the, an elderly woman. Uh, and, and we all love Duchess. We talk to Duchess. But, like, at the same time, we know Duchess is a fictional character. Um, but... She just brings so much happiness to everybody. And it turns out yes. that um, she has a book coming out, Duchess. Uh, it's called Becoming Duchess Goldblatt by Anonymous. And the story behind it is that the person behind the Duchess Goldblatt account is a real-life reclusive writer um, who experienced a loss and sort of um, found herself and healed through this Twitter account that, that she started. Um, this is just what the rep was telling me. I haven't read any of it yet. Um, but it just, it sounds just amazing. And I love Duchess. And so I'm so excited to read this. So oh, I can't wait 
for you to tell me all about it because yeah. oh I just and I'm I'm so relieved that she's publishing it anonymously yeah because I kind of don't ever want to find out who she really is yeah I've already had like it's it's part of the magic <laughs> that is just that is Duchess Goldblatt yeah I've already had people because I posted a picture of it on Instagram and on Twitter and I've already had people messaging me being like can you tell who it is from the from the cover or the description or can does it say inside who it actually is and I'm like, one, no, and two, I wouldn't tell you anyway. Like, I kind of like that it's a secret. I have a, like, I have a person, a writer in mind that I would like it to be um, because I love them so much, but I'm not going to say who it is. Um, but, you know, it's kind of fun. You know, like, like um, Alana Ferrante, someone did a bunch of digging and found out who she was. Yeah. And I didn't read the article yeah, because hope, it's like she doesn't. And I, I really, I would be so heartbroken if anyone did that to Duchess Goldblatt. Yeah, I because she's just she's just gifted us with such tenderness. Yeah, and I wanted to treat her as gently as possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I have, uh, you know, I'm a little apprehensive, you know, about that that somebody might actually go ahead and do it. Um, but I hope not. So. Also, wouldn't it be amazing, listeners, if it was actually Liberty? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um, I actually thought it was Elizabeth McCracken for a while, but we had her at the bookstore, and like Duchess was tweeting like while Elizabeth was at the store. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> like that was like early Clark on, and, and Superman so, in the same place. Yeah, at once. Yep. So <laughs> I also love Duchess because one of her biggest fans is Lyle Lovett. And every time Duchess tweets yeah. at me, Lyle Lovett favorites the tweet, and I'm just like, I'm like one step removed from Lyle Lovett. It's pretty exciting. All right. So, that is us. That is us for today. That is us for today. That is you for today. That's everyone for today. Um, that is all. That's you. That's me. That's... I'm so profound when I'm tired. Um, that is all for today. You can drop us... At least you're already in your pajamas. It's, so. Yeah. I would be lying if I said I actually got out of them today, but whatever. Um, <laughs> See? <laughs> twinsies. So, thank you to our sponsors for helping us keep the lights on. Uh, if you want to reach us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Maria Christina is on Twitter at MeowieChristina. That's M-E-O-W-Y-C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. I do tweet on there sometimes. Right now I'm tweeting about books at Miss Liberty, but I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter, also written by me. So in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>